Today's episode of In the Trenches is brought to you by System 12 Guitar Method. Sign up today at RyanRoxy.com. In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy. Hello, 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 and welcome to another live stream episode of In the Trenches. I am your host, Ryan Roxy, and I'm going to dive right into it because uh, we've taken a couple weeks off. I was in Phoenix last week. We were doing an Alice Cooper charity event that went very well, and thank you all for contributing to it, and thank you all for supporting it. And uh, what can I say? It's been you know, going from extreme warmth to extreme cold. So I'm back here at the North Pole. We're trying a couple different things here. You know, panic in the studio right before you've heard of panic at the disco. There was panic in the studio right before we started. So I did a quick uh, camera change and a quick uh, reboot. And hopefully this is all looking good. You ready to start? I am. But if you're listening to us on one of the audio broadcasts, of course, you wouldn't know any of this because you're listening to our voices. But what we really want you to do is go to our YouTube official channel and we will put that subscribe button up one more time. This is your first time watching. Hit that subscribe button right there so you guys can be part of our live in the trenches shows, our live streams. Of course, you can watch them on delay as well or listen to them like you are right now. And the good thing about being live, though, is you're in the chat. And you get to see the delays that happen. We went on a little bit late, like a rock show. Well, not, not completely Axl Rose time, but close. You ready? Here we go. I was initially turned on to our guest uh, by Alice Cooper guitarist Tommy Hendrickson. You all know Tommy, right? Well, first I went out and checked out his Instagram page and posts, which questioned reality, religion, and even the existence of our beloved internet. Yes, that very same internet that you are using to watch our show right now. I immediately knew he'd be great to have on the podcast so all of you, real or not, could experience our guest because he's agreed to meet us in the trenches. The founder of Hyperionism, a shock artist, and we just shall discover what else. Would you please welcome into the trenches, Morg. Hello, Morg. Ryan, nice to be here. That was quite an introduction. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, a little verbose, maybe a little bit too much garrulous ranting. I'm I'm trying I to make sure, so. <laughs> just trying to make sure the internet is going to cooperate with us. Um, the last couple of weeks, we've had the internet gods. Um, you know, if there is a god, there's an internet god. They are. Uh, they haven't been cooperating with us, so I don't know. I know how that goes. Uh, I was doing a stream the other day, and when it went out, I had to, you know, just switch over to my phone and do it all from the cellular. So, you know, that's just the price you have to pay when dealing with this sort of thing. But it is because of the internet that I was uh, turned on to you and I discovered you. Um, I'm not sure if you know our guitarist, Tommy Hendrickson, also plays in the Hollywood Vampires, as well as his own solo stuff. But he was the one that said, uh, you know, Roxy, you got to check out this guy, Morg. He has some really good stuff. You got to hear it. So I don't know if you've ever awesome. had it. <laughs> so well, it sounds like he has very good taste. Uh <laughs> I, I don't know him personally, but I've, I've um, you know, follow him on Instagram. I think we follow each other and he seems uh, like an awesome guy. So, yeah, that's great. Let me ask you this. Are you a musician? Because I know that we have a lot of musicians on the program first and foremost, but then we have other people on the podcast that might dabble, dillient as, as they would it, with music, but uh, they're, they're not uh, pro musicians. But then we have some people that are just music lovers. Uh, do you play an instrument yourself? 
No, I, I actually don't. So I don't have any sort of musical background or anything like that. I played key keyboard for a year or two, but nothing serious. But uh, music has had a very big influence on my life and uh, has a lot to do with who I am today. So it's um, shaped a big part of me. Uh, it's one of the first things that actually started getting me to question reality was music. Um, in particular, uh, it was um, because I, I had a very uh, strict religious background, religious household, religious upbringing. And I remember that um, one of the things when I started becoming a, you know, I don't remember, 11, 12, something like that. My grandmother brought over this DVD that was supposed to scare children um, away from uh, like satanic rock music. It was called like the evils of satanic music. And, <laughs> you can um, definitely find it somewhere on the internet. I, I was going to say, oh, was it, was it yeah, an Alice Cooper video? <laughs> No, I surprised. No, it was like Black Sabbath, and uh, I, I forget who else, but it was in that vein, right? Very, right. very, very similar to those sort of artists. And I remember seeing that and thinking, "Wow, this is amazing!" Because previously, I've only been exposed to you know like church music, and so that's not particularly too um, interesting or uh, whatnot. So being exposed to this kind of music really exposed me to you know vibrant artists expressing themselves on stage and really you know putting themselves out there. Because to me, that music, art in general, uh, true music and true art in any, any, any kind of art is where you are externalizing yourself. You know, you're, you're taking what's internal and making it external. And being able to see that happen is really what me, what made me start uh, just quite, because this was deemed as evil, but of I was course. seeing this beautiful, beautiful expression. And so that was one of the things that really started um, this. So I, you know, from there I started looking into philosophy. I started looking into, uh, you know, um, scientific theories, things like that. So it was a big, uh, step for me. Well, that's a perfect way to segue into our first part of the show, which is we always go back to get forward. So Vic, you want to hit that? So we're talking here uh, with Morg. He is the founder of Hyperionism and also a shock artist. Uh, how do you say that? A freak shock artist would you say or what, what is yeah, the actual you, title you, for you, it you know what i mean there isn't really one you can call me whatever you want i don't care some people are really picky but you can call me a shock artist a lot of people call me an extreme stunt artist um sideshow performer freak show performer all of the above is applicable when did that fascination to become a performing uh, extreme stunt artist take hold of you? Mm -hmm. Do you remember? Well, I've always I always wanted to be a performer. Before I was an extreme start, stunt artist, I was um, a magician. But what really started getting me into stunt performing was overcoming limitations. So, you know, everything that I do is about pushing boundaries. So I like to say that I'm about um, exploring the limits of the human body and the limitlessness of the mind. And when it comes to, you know, pushing yourself and overcoming boundaries, I have this very Nietzschean take on, you know, the philosopher, great philosopher Nietzsche was all about constantly overcoming obstacles, pushing yourself and becoming the best, most expressed, most actualized ver version of yourself you can be. And uh, so what really started me off with this is that I had this aversion to hypodermic needles. Uh, very bad, you know, if I would get any kind of shot or anything like that, I would pass out. I was just had a phobia, was terrified of needles. There has to be so, a phobia name for that if you're afraid of needles, because I've constantly been, since a little kid, take drawing blood, anything like that, I was yeah. the same way. Yeah, so I'm sure you can relate. It's yeah. um, For those who have that, it's, you know, terrifying. Again, you know, I pass out and all that. So what I, what I started doing was piercing myself every day to overcome that obstacle, get over that fear, and um, I took it, you know, really, really far where I started doing deep tissue piercing, which is where you go like in through the, the center of the bicep muscle and out the other side. 
Uh, you'll do things like go underneath the tongue and out the bottom of the jaw with long sp uh, spinal needles. And uh, so obviously uh, I didn't, didn't have a problem anymore, but this sort of kicked off the whole idea of exploring, you know, f uh, I was very interested in fear as well, fear, pain, um, mixing pain and pleasure. Like what are the boundaries? What are the limitations? Like where does pain start? Where does it stop? Where does pleasure begin? Where is it just a mindset? What is fear? All these different things. Um, and this is what really started me to get get into uh, more, you know, just keep keep uh, pushing further with learning sword swallowing. I do acts like with a meat hook where I put it in my in my nose and twist it so it comes out my mouth. A lot of uh, very extreme stunts. And since I've always wanted to be a performer, I integrated that. Yes, excellent photo. <laughs> I integrated that with uh, my onstage presence. I started out as a street performer. So obviously you had to gravitate to either a geographical spot or you had yeah. or, or a group of people that you felt accepted in this group. And, and where was that? And where did you learn all, most of your tricks? Was it, was it through live performance or would you like really study the art before you'd actually do it? Or was there any of these extreme stunts you just went out and said, you know what, I'm going to go for it. Well, I'm all self-taught. So, you know, no one taught me this. Um, and this isn't really a thing that you can, you know, you can't go out and buy a DVD, how to sword swallow or something. I, at least I don't think you can. Um, <laughs> I, I haven't checked. But so I'm all self-taught with all these different acts. There was never any group that I was a part of. Um, I'm, I've always been an outlier in that way. Uh, so basically I did, um, live in Montana though. So I lived in Montana and I realized that, Hey, if you want to be a performer, you gotta go, you know, cows don't make a great audience. It's they're, they're not appreciative of these sorts of things. So I moved to Los Angeles and, uh, so if for, you well, want to be a, a rock and roller, an actor or a sword swallower, LA is the place. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Great, great image here. And so if anyone's wondering, you know, people ask how is sword swallowing possible? Well, that's a great, um, video right there and you can see that it goes all the way down into the stomach and uh you can even get to a point if you use a longer sword where it goes into the bottom of the intestine as well um but uh yeah so that was where i really started performing and again like i said i'm i'm all self-taught you know don't try any of this shit at home it's extremely dangerous you'll 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 die i was actually told that part of the reason why you name yourself morgue was because if you try any of the stunts that you have done in the past you might end up in a morgue is that true? That, 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 that is one reason. Um, I mean, I think a more uh, more apropos reason is uh, I associate with the death tarot card is in, you know, death is a is a transitory phase when something ends and something makes way for something new to begin. So death morgue is always associated with transitory phases. But yeah, I mean, if you're on TV, it's a lot quicker and snappier to be like, yeah, it's because if you try what I do, you'll die. So, so that works as well. You got on TV. Uh, it was a uh, Venice Beaches freak show. Uh, I think it was on the AMC channel as well. Um, during that whole time, was it before, during, after that you were um, coming up with high, the, the fundamentals of Hyperionism? And uh, when did you decide to release it to mm. the public? Well, yeah, I was developing it um, pretty much the entire time. I was, I mean, I was writing my first book, I believe, while we were uh, in the middle of um, filming my first book called The Metaphorical Suicide, which is about um, destroying your old self so you can be free to create your new self. And so I was constantly developing this. And uh, I mean, this is the whole reason why I did a TV show to begin with. I mean, like, I don't give a shit about reality TV show. Like, I don't, I don't fucking care about reality TV. I just did that because, you know, you get a bigger audience. And, um, yeah. you know, if you want to make change, you, ha you have to have an audience, you have to have a platform. So it was uh, 
during that time that I was developing it. And was this show, were you one of the creators of the show or did they just see you on Venice Beach and say, hey, you're part of it? Or was this your gang of uh, uh, performers that you put together? How did that show work? Uh, no. So basically, I mean, it's a great show, by the way. Like, I'm not knocking the show. The show is really cool. I'm just saying, you know, reality TV in general is not my forte. But um, so, yeah, I was uh, a, ba- a street performer. So uh, um, I performed in Huntington Beach, Venice Beach, uh, Hollywood Boulevard, all over California. And so I was a street performer on Venice Beach. And I did some particular stunts that are very, very rare. Um, I do this one where you take a, a billiard ball, uh, your snooker ball, whatever you want to call it, you take it and you swallow it down to the stomach and then you bring it back up again or a steel ball like that and that's a very rare act i believe at the time there was only three people in the world including me that did that um but the difference so, is you're self-taught with this that's correct yeah. and and is that just trial and error is it just looking at any uh did you have like i, I have guitar heroes right ace fraley eddie van halen you you know uh yeah. Randy Rhodes, do you have any extreme stunt performers that you looked up to or were at least, uh, you know, you don't have to say uh, ripping them off, but paying homage to them, for instance? Um, I mean, there there are individuals who had done some of the acts that I have done before. You know, like the other individual who, who did the regurgitation was a performer named Stevie Starr, who's an awesome performer. Um, someone else from... Um, I can't remember the, I don't know who it is actually, but um, no, I mean, I mean, these, these aren't any people I knew or talked to or knew in any capacity other than they've been on TV a couple of times. Right. But, okay. but yeah, but when you are, when you are learning these things and then, because yeah, you can't, there's no book on this, right? So it is trial and error. You have to learn your anatomy. Um, it takes a very, very long time. I've been to the ER before learning, learning that stunt. I had to go to the emergency room for getting, you know, an object lodged in my esophagus. So it's very yeah. dangerous, very, very dangerous. Yeah, yeah but- it takes a long time. People don't know because you go up there and you do it, but people don't know that's, you know, like a couple of years training to be able to do these, do these things. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when was it that you decided to uh, take, be off from the show and then concentrate most of your time with Hyperionism? Well, um, basically what happened, like I said, I've been developing, developing it for a while and uh, what happened was that the, I, I was in addition to the freak show, um, well, the TV show, you know, it was an actual location at Venice beach and it ended up get, uh, closing down. So when it closed down, you know, that it's unfortunate. It sucks. It was, it was a great place. It was one of the very last living freak shows, brick and mortar freak shows, um, in the world where you could go see live animals and, and a stage show and everything like that. And what happened was that, um, once it closed and once it shut down, which which is tragic and unfortunate, but it gave me time to be able to focus on creating. And I really started to use uh, video as a modality and social media as a modality to get things out there. Right. Do you think that part of the reason why the whole freak show closed down is is sort of a evolution of where we're actually at in 2021, where everything's so politically correct and everything is is you know you can't offend anybody and w- or what was the reason do you think that that whole thing shut down and then well the freak show shut down because um so you know i a you know, i don't know why I should, a large social this is what i heard yep. a large social media company who will remain nameless um <laughs> bought up a ton of businesses all on the boardwalk 
And so it wasn't because it wasn't making money or because there was a problem or anything like that. It was literally because this huge company bought out the building and there was nothing anyone could do about it. It was just one of those things where you, you just had to leave because they didn't own the space. They were renting it. And, the you know, and that's what I think it's a Starbucks now. And, uh, you know, that's, you know, like, well, how you fucking just named them. is that? <laughs> but the thing no, is, it wasn't. It wasn't a Starbucks. But, <laughs> the thing is, uh, though, Morg, you, you know, you, you, you have this following from the TV show. You have this book now and now you have Hyperionism. Mm-hmm. What is it? Is it, you know, is it a guy with a bunch of very different ideas? Is it a cult? Is it a new religion? Is it, you know, what are you viewing Hyperionism as? What do you see it as? Mm-hmm. Well, many people call it all these different things, whether you call it a cult or religion or philosophy. A lot of people um, have different words for it and different terms for it. And look, when you get down to it, these words are very ill-defined. How do you define a religion? How do you define a cult? Everyone calls it something else. Um, you know, the, the, like the true de- definition of a religion or a cult is something completely different than how it's used colloquially. Uh, but what it is, what it truly is in itself, without these weird, um, you know, labels being thrown around and people trying to uh, make it seem like something evil and scary and all that, what it really is, is a knowledge system based on reason that reveals through reason and rationality the nature of existence and aims to elevate humanity into a new level of consciousness. So what we want to do is we want to change the world by changing humanity and via logic and reason and helping humanity reach literally the next stage of awareness, which is a level past self-awareness, what we call hyper-awareness. And mathematics play a huge role in this, at least what I, you know, like I said, I did a deep dive and I'm not going to be, I'm I'm not going to be, I'm going to be really honest and not say that I I know everything about it at all, Um, but I did do a a pretty deep dive of, of, you know, what it's about. You do say that uh, mathematics do play a big part of it. You, you actually cite uh, Euler's formula I guess mm-hmm. Euler's formula, Euler's formula for being one of the the more important parts. How does math, because what I could gather is that mm-hmm. you're saying that perhaps our bodies are all not our bodies. They're more creations of within our mind. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. So then, yes. so this, this, this is why I just wanted to get through tying in you being an extreme uh, uh, performance artist and, and, and the Hyperionism. If you're putting hooks through your body, does the body actually exist? Was that why you were able to do those things with your body? Because you didn't view pain the same way that others would. Or how do you know? Oh, yeah. It's a lot of mind over matter. And see, like, here's the thing is that a lot of performers, like, that, that also do sideshow stunts like that, with that perhaps do uh, piercings or things like that. What, what they will do is they will do some kind of meditative technique or trance or whatever you want to call it to block out the pain. Uh, But not me. I wouldn't do that because I wanted to feel the pain. I wanted to experience it and I wanted to feel alive because, I mean, why else are we here but to feel and experience and why would I want to block that out? So, But a lot of it is mind over matter. And and, and, and exactly in that case is that I didn't view it as something negative or bad. It wasn't something horrible. It was uh, to be alive, like in ancient Greece, you have the Dionysian mysteries, the Dionysian mystery cults. And this is um, what, how we get today modern rock shows come from the Dionysian mystery cults, because it would be this gathering of individuals 
and they would use narcotics, alcohol, drugs, things like this. They would play music, uh, you know, the beating of the drums, and they would um, incorporate sex, orgy, and pain. Uh, basically, all the different um, sensory uh, stimulants that you could possibly imagine, you know, auditory, visual, uh, pleasure, pain, sex, all this, until it started to sort of merge into this one experience. And they would, you know, say that this was them feeling the God within, that they would, through that, become divine, and that they were, you know, uh, reaching a transcendent moment through the blending of all experiences. Sounds so, like a Motley Crue tour in the late 80s, basically. I, I think <laughs> I would have liked it then if I could have been there. Just so you know, you could actually audition as a lead singer for any band, I think, and they would you definitely get the call back. Just image alone. But then then you start, you. you know, then you start uh, giving your ideas. And dude, lead singer written all over. I got it. Do you have a voice? I, I, Do you I, sing? I, I, I considered I actually considered getting into music for a while. Um, I considered it and I, I was very, very tempted, but it was kind of like music or, you know, doing this movement and, and, and philosophy because you're only so limited with time. Right. So I, that, that was something that I, I, I love performing. I love being in front of crowd. I love art. I love expression. So okay. in another life, perhaps movement. I like the way you put it. Philosophy, yeah. you know, those are all uh, the connotations of those words don't sound as harsh as when someone says cult, someone says religion, yeah. people uh, immediately that comes from our detractors. Yeah. hair gets up and there are detractors. That's that's I, I wanted to get into that a little bit because I wanted mm -hmm. to find out how you deal with that, because with anything, whether it's people not liking your band People, yes. you know, growing up not liking your image or whatever, um, you're going to get that door sort of shoved in your face and you got to kick it open again. But, um, you know, I, I actually went on to check out some of the critics that have challenged Hyperionism, uh, mm -hmm. you know, TJ Kirk, a.k.a. Okay. The Amazing Atheist, uh, right. uh, Count Jacula, you know, how do you respond to some of these people or, or do you just brush it off as something? What? you, Vic, our producer, got a photo yeah. of the of i guess tj kirk was that him i think that was him all right well, i haven't seen his videos other than one that that he put out so the, basically what it comes down to it is that anyone any anything that i have ever seen um that is criticizing us uh is completely laughable because it you can tell that they don't know anything about us because their criticisms don't apply because you can tell that they're just assuming um that we're some sort of like say new age mystical movement or um, some sort of like uh, dealing with like the occult or something like that. They don't actually take the time to look into what we're actually saying. And so um, it's really neither here nor there because their criticisms don't stick because they're not even addressing what we're talking about. I did a, there was a whole article on some website and I did a, just to put out this point, I did a video, uh, you know, taking line by line at all their criticisms and going, this this is you debunked it, it basically we actually yeah i mean none of it is our even positions that we hold or things that we say or their gross misunderstandings or so it's just a it's a big waste of time really and it doesn't bother me i mean hey it's more exposure i don't, I don't care. <laughs> how you've been growing this now for how long like when would you say you established the hyperionism uh philosophy and said i'm putting it out to the world Ah, well, hmm. I mean, it really hasn't been the, uh, too long. That's what's really exciting about it is that we're growing very quickly and, you know, actually seriously putting it out there and starting it. You know, I, I can't, you know, don't quote me on this because 
I, I don't know precisely, um, but I would say maybe like four years, something like that, 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 you know, it's been out there under the name Hyperionism and something that people can find and join. Yeah. Uh, I could, you know, I could be off by a year, but um, some, something along those lines. And, um, and, and that's another thing that I want to say is that um, though I am the founder of Hyperionism, uh, like the mathematical system that we use, that's very important to Hyperionism is not something that I invented, you know, this is a system known as ontological mathematics, the mathematical aspect that you mentioned, which started with Pythagoras. And then there are many amazing uh, contemporary pioneers, such as philosophers like Mark Hockney and Thomas Stark that are um, have have uh, worked on and developed this. So it's sort of like Hyperionism is the system that I have founded. And then within that system, we use ontological mathematics to as sort of the uh, the core, sort of like as, you know, science has the uh, mathematical uh f physicist aspect of cosmology or you know whatever perhaps you, you are the less paul to gibson of what uh you know mike hockney is you know to you is it, it, it there's you, i don't know who that is so i you know <laughs> forgive me for well the gibson less paul uh, all the musicians listening to us right now will understand the the analogy okay, perhaps. I'll, I'll take your word for it <laughs> um i i did uh you do quote uh carl jung a lot as yes. well as Jung's someone very important. So that's the thing with Hyperionism, right? Even though that I'm the founder of Hyperionism, I guess what I'm trying to say is that what Hyperionism is, is a synthesis of many different ideas together, right? So we take like Jung, Hegel, Nietzsche, etc. Whereas normally you would think that like Hegel and Nietzsche would be opposed to each other. But we take all these different ideas where it's, you know, Jung, Hegel, Nietzsche, Stark, um, Hockney, and uh, Spinoza, Descartes, all these different philosophers, all these different systems, um, and not even just relegated to philosophy, but even some ideas that might be uh, regarded a cult or whatnot, but all under logic and reason and synthesized and filtered together through reason, through rationality and through mathematics. I want to talk more about uh, the differences of what it is to whether it's uh, opposed to traditional re religion, which I know it is, uh, which if, if it's opposed to traditional science, which I know it is, but I want you to explain why in our second half. We're going to take a really quick break right now because, uh, you know what? We got new uh, headphones and microphones from our sponsor, Biodynamics, so we feel that we'd like to uh, let them have a couple seconds to uh, talk about it, but then we'll come back with uh, more with Morg, if that's cool with you, and uh, thank you for hanging out here today on In the Trenches. If this is your first time checking it out, hit that subscribe button and uh, we will be right back. In the live chat, you're very lively today. Thank you very much. Morg, uh, we'll be right back, okay? In about 45 seconds. Hit it there, Vic. Thanks, bud. Hello, Ryan Roxy here, host of the In the Trenches podcast, and I also play guitar for Alice Cooper. I just wanted to take a second to talk about what mic you're hearing me speak through what headphones I choose to listen to all my audio with. My go-to podcast and live performance mic is this TG V70 dynamic vocal mic. And when I'm recording acoustic stuff, I'll always mic it up with the Biodynamic M160 double ribbon mic. I listen to everything with the DT1770 Pro headphones, unless I'm out and about. That's when the Aventa wireless headphones really make listening to music, podcasts, or any other audio app that's on my phone, ultra high fidelity, and latency free. Check out their official site or the links below in the description of this video to find out more about what makes Biodynamic a musician's choice in pro audio mics and headphones. Now, let's get back into the trenches for some more rock and roll. Enjoy the show, enjoy the ride. 
That was quick and painless. And thank you very much, Biodynamic, for uh, giving us the new uh, mics and the new headphones. So hopefully you can hear me and you, I can hearing uh, more just fine because we are deep diving into Hyperionism as well as all things that are morgue. Um, you have a lot of, I wouldn't say that the, the, the uh, Instagram uh, page is filled with so much Hyperionism. You just have mm-hmm. a lot of, uh, small sort of snippets that grab the attention like right away, and I wanted to talk about a few of those. And but uh, but first, let's get let's get into Hyperionism, the differences between that and science. And according to you, that uh, Hyperionism sort of rejects science in some ways, and the three different things that Hyperionism is uh, based on: mathematical rationalism deductive and mm. where science is sense data uh empiricism and induction mm, sure. so being that rationalism and empiricism are exact opposites that seem that would seem natural that you would oppose science but what are the correlations if you if you oppose a traditional religion and you oppose science how does uh hyperionism stand on its own Right. So here's the thing. You kind of have this false dichotomy. People usually think, oh, you're either religious or you're like an atheistic scientist uh, materialist. Um, There's sort of this false dichotomy. It's either an either and or. And the thing is, we're neither. We are not religion because religion is based on faith. We reject faith. We're rationalists. And then science are empirical. They deal with empirical data. Uh, The empirical stance is that knowledge is derived from the senses. So our stance is of a rationalist stance, whereas knowledge is derived from pure reason. Now, I want to say right off the bat, when we say we reject science, it doesn't mean that we think that um, science is not effective. Science is great. Science is fantastic. They have advances in technology, advances in medicine. I'm able to talk to you right now because of the advancements in science. We have all these kind of medical advancements. Science is fantastic for making practical and pragmatic and useful things uh, in the physical world. Um, However, uh, what we deal with in Hyperionism, especially with regard to our system of ontological mathematics, deals with what reality is. So what science deals with is how things work. Um, They build models. So for example, a scientist might tell you how charge works and how charge affects you know the attraction and repulsion of say electrons whereas what we do is we ask what is charge what are electrons what is the foundational nature of reality and when you're asking these sorts of questions you can no longer rely simply on empiricism and induction because empiricism and induction relies on sense data and experimentation where you can use reason to understand that reality is actually mathematical and not based on, you know, sensory matter. Matter, uh, the existence of, of, of matter cannot account for something like consciousness. This is known as the hard problem of consciousness. Science cannot in any way, in any capacity, uh, explain the thing that you are most familiar with, which is your own subjectivity. So in a nutshell, science deals with sense data and empiricism. We deal with reason, right? We are the champions of logic, reason, and mathematics. Science uses uh, experimentation, empiricism, and induction. It's with the sense. So whereas religion is faith, science goes with senses, we go with reason, mind, mathematics. OK, 
Okay. That's that is <laughs> that's a lot to sort of uh, digest in just one sitting. I'm stopping. I'm stopping short because I could keep going. But, I know. Uh, I know I, you can. But guess what? <laughs> you have our chat uh, very much intrigued right now. The comments are flying in and out. Um, part of these uh, viewpoints and part of these philosophies that you have have led you to uh, put out a lot of content um, mm. that is challenging for, for a lot of people to accept. And, and one of them is the a dead internet theory. Mm. And um, I wanted you to explain a little bit about that because it's one of those things that I've thought a lot about many times that, you know, the people that we are putting this show out to, the people that I'm posting out to, how many of those people are actually real? You know, mm-hmm. because we know about bots. We anybody that's a, that that that's a, a YouTube personality or or some some uh, someone that wants to gain more followers, you know that there are going to be fake accounts and bots and and some people trying to uh, hack your account as well be uh, you know I've had many Brian Roxy uh, official oh, yeah. fake accounts as well but uh, tell us how that all started and where this dead internet theory came from yeah so the dead internet theory is this sort of um, theory that uh, some people on the message board just started it's kind of like this creepy pasta sort of thing and <laughs> so the whole idea of, of dead internet theory is that oh well um, you know five years ago or whatever, the internet as you know it stopped existing. Most of the people on the internet now is, are bots and most of the websites are AI generated, um, et cetera, et cetera. Now, do I actually believe that? No, no, that's, uh, that, that's, a, little, that's a little extreme. Um, however, I think by looking at that, we can see that it's actually not that far from the truth in that as you know, you, dealing with social media as, as you do. And you mentioned, you know, having all these fake accounts and things, you know, that um, bots are out there. It's extremely effective. And you can uh, basically the idea is that most of what you see on the Internet is is fake. Not that people are literally bots. Some of them are, but that you can do things like you can buy fake likes because people will buy hundreds of thousands of likes for their videos uh, because they'll know people will be more inclined to watch it. And tell people that where that started from. That originally started you you said that that started from io games oh oh yeah so i use dot io games as an example so dot io games are these games that um i'm not sure when they were developed but basically there are these video games very simple games that were developed um that were meant to be multiplayer games and so what people did was uh they realized if you're a new developer and you make this game and it's supposed to be a multiplayer game but no one knows who you are uh you're going to be the only person in your multiplayer game and then no one's going to keep playing it because it's a very boring game. So what they did was they said, hey, well, what we'll do is we'll put bots in the game. We'll populate it with bots, but we won't tell people they'll bot, they're bots. We'll make them seem like real people. That way people will jump in and then uh, more people will come in. They'll have fun with the game. But what they ended up realizing is it was so effective. They were like, hey, we can just leave the bots in here and just say that it's multiplayer, but it'll actually be a single player game. And it was very successful. Tons of people love these games. I think and easier you know, to do. actually program as a single player game, right? Well, you don't have to deal with things like you know server, you know servers and networks, and having to do with uh, you know processing data across uh, the internet and all that. If it's you know single player, uh, there's a lot less you know hair pulling needed. There's a lot less. Um, yeah, you know, and they could uh, and they could that. throw a deep fake saying that oh you've been logged off for a second and to to make oh, you yeah. feel like it's 
you know, you're part of this multiplayer world where in reality you might not be multiplaying with anybody, just a bunch of bots. Exactly. That, that game, you know, certain games would, if you would, you know, if your internet went out or you disconnected your Wi-Fi, it'd go, oh, your internet's out, you've been logged off. But it didn't matter. It was just um, well, to convince you that it was precisely an online game. I just want everyone to know that on In the Trenches podcast, when our internet goes off, it really fucking goes off. And uh, <laughs> like two minutes before our show started and I had to get a new computer. Um, so obviously I am not a bot, but I don't know. I have to question myself because you made me question it on uh, one of your uh, shorts that's on the uh Instagram page and your YouTube page, which we'll get to your contacts in a second. But you said there's basically five types of people to test if you are a bot or not. And uh, those five types I thought were very interesting. Uh, The first one you said was uh, tradition directed. Now, can you explain to people what tradition directed people are? Yeah, sure. And just before we do that, I just want to reiterate because, you know, some people out there might think that I really believe people are robots or thing like that, something like that. I don't believe that. I don't think the Internet's fake. This is just uh, an analogy that I use when I say that people are bots. I'm saying that, uh, you know, people have been so conditioned or programmed by society and culture that it is though they are robots. You know, I don't literally people will. But but a lot of people walk around mm -hmm. like they're in a dream. Like exactly. Say, oh, precisely. And, and, and like you, you use the analogy of going from your home to, to work and somehow some days you don't even realize how you got there. You're just kind of in a program. But that's that I'm saying nice. you're, you're in reality, but you're actually asleep. Precisely, because this is your unconscious. That's basically the programming that's behind the scenes that you're not aware of at all, but it dictates your actions, even though you're you're unaware of it. And that's the big part of Hyperionism is we're trying to wake people up. And the big part of it is making the unconscious conscious so that you can be your own programmer, so you can hack yourself, so to speak, and not just be a copy and a clone dictated by something that you aren't even aware exists in, in the first place. It's a bit um, similar to the, to the, you know, we were texting a couple of days earlier about uh, Vadim Zeeland and reality transurfing, which I don't talk too, too much about people. There's a few people that are in the, uh, in the chat right now that know about uh, my sort of association with reality transurfing, but yeah, it has that sort of wake up, waking up experience in real life, you know? Wow, you even got that. That's very interesting, Vic, that you got that. I didn't even tell you to put that up there. Pick it down now. What are you doing? We're talking about, we, we got Morgan. <laughs> Vadim, Vadim is not on our show right now. Uh, but uh, let's go on to these five types. You had oh, tra- tra- tradition directed, which yeah. uh, you can explain these five types of personalities to check if you yourself are a bot or not. Yeah, so tradition directed people are those who are directed by... Um, basically like religions right so if you're if you're uh directed by traditions religion uh culture if instead of thinking for yourself you are doing something that in ancient holy texts you know tells you how to behave or in ancient tradition or how your culture tells you that you should behave if you're doing any of these things then you are a tradition directed person you aren't actually being directed by your own volition and then what about other directed that would be a second type Mm-hmm. So other directed people are those who are directed by basically like what's popular, the crowd, their peers, you know, they, the, the, the worst thing that they hate is being unpopular, not part of the in, ca- in crowd, not trendy. So what they're always doing, they're trying to keep up with all the trends, they're trying to be popular, they want to see what all the cool kids are doing, they want, they want to wear all the in clothing. So they are directed by 
others, the crowd. What a is bit more popular. of the herd mentality, sort of. Yes, yes, exactly. In- interdirected. That would be a third type. Mm-hmm. So inner interdirected people are those who are directed by their sort of like an inner moral compass that have been instilled in them since birth by their parents. So this is essentially the type of person who are directed by uh, parental values and family values, even if those values are perhaps detrimental or they're basically obsessed with family and family values, even to a detriment, even if those are, you know, not good or positive to them. Uh, so far, I see all three of those directed personalities part of part of my own upbringing that I've sort of been evolving on my journey. Uh, the fourth mm-hmm. would be uh, uh, anomics. Now, what was so it? anomics? Now, this is kind of an interesting personality type. So anomics are those that sort of reject all this, but they can't basically cope. Right? They've kind of broken down, and so they reject all. They're they're, they're not necessarily any of these other categories but they find it very hard to keep a job. They've, uh, you know, often struggle with like um, addiction or uh, they turn to crime or something of this nature. So they have um, sort of rejected these different aspects of society or tradition or whatnot, but now the weight of the world is sort of too much for them and they're crushed under it. I'm four for four at this point, (laughs) except for the, you know, I don't have a life of crime unless you say, Doing this podcast is a crime, right? Because it's so good, right, audience? Uh-huh. No, but uh, the fifth type, and I, I think this is what you mean uh, if you are a bot or not, is to be autonomous. Yeah, so an autonomous individual is someone who is self-empowered, self-directed. This is like the Nietzschean Ubermensch mentality of creating your own values, uh, living life according to your own rules. You don't care about, you know, religion. You don't care about family values. You don't care about the in crowd. Not that any of these things are necessarily wrong. If your family taught you something that is actually useful, that's great. But your autonomy, autonomy allows you to objectively judge whether you want to incorporate that or not, instead of you just automatically subsuming it like some sort of program. You are consciously uh, evaluating everything and with a conscious attitude, choosing those actions to, that benefit you rather than just being like an unconscious program. So if you agree with Hyperionism, you most probably are autonomous, correct? Well, or I mean, what Hyperionism does, because that might sound kind of... Um, like contradictory, right? Like, oh, well, you're autonomous if you believe what we say. True. But the thing is, right, well, what Hyperionism attempts to do, the process of Hyperionism is not so much, this is what you should believe. Um, We give people the tools to learn how to think for themselves. And that's the important distinction is that we give people the ability to think rationally and therefore be able to make the best choices for themselves in their life. You talk about, uh, at the end of the day, I, I, hmm. I, from what I got out of Hyperionism, the direction is a positive one for humanity. Uh, there's, there's others uh, out there. You, you, like you said, you're, not, you're one of many that have philosophies and ideas to make the world um, a more positive place. I don't know if you're familiar with Peter Joseph, who uh, directed Zeitgeist. In a series of mm-hmm. movies uh, mm-hmm. that uh, had an end them, and but Zeitgeist was uh, a very important film for me many many years ago. To uh, that sort of uh, opened a lot of ideas for me. But mm-hmm. when you say um, 
when you say that you have this idea that uh, it, it is a positive thing, but it, but it doesn't mean that there's unconditional love with Hyperionism. Correct. I, you're saying that in there is not a such a thing as unconditional love in Hyperionism. Is yes, that what you're asking? that's what I'm asking. Yeah. yeah, no. I mean, we we do not preach unconditional love because that would not be rational. Um, love is something that. So basically, in Hyperionism, we look at love as a unifying function because everything is ultimately mathematical, even love. So you can have uh, think of love as a unifying function, and something as hatred as a fragmentation or a separation function. So what happens is that we want to create a world of love. That's what we want. But the thing is, if you want to create a new world, love is not how you're going to get there. Love isn't going to change the world. Love is what you get when you change the world. Love isn't going to do that. If someone wants to kill you, you go give them a hug. They're still going to stab you in the back. You can't love the world. That's not going to change the world. Once we change the world, then we will be free to have a world of love. All right. I like this. I like this talk that we're having. At the end of the day, maybe perhaps love is that uh, self-sustaining energy that because we haven't found a energy that sort of sustains itself yet. Maybe it is love. It's it's hey. At the end of the day, love is in the matrix. Uh, love is the, the the message of the matrix. Love is the message of the um, of actually zeitgeist as well. Uh, that that word comes from, and love is uh, John Lennon's sort of mantra as well. Are you just just on an off topic? Is the, mm. the upcoming Matrix film is that? Oh, yes. has anything uh, any interest for you? Does that uh, did those movies uh, influence uh, have any sort of uh, you know? wait for you the matrix is a fantastic movie i'm actually just uh i'll probably be releasing a video about the matrix in in a week or so ago on my youtube channel so the matrix is fantastic it draws its roots um from neoplatonism and gnosticism that had very very similar ideas um talking about you know creation of an illusory illusory world that souls are trapped into and they have to obtain knowledge that the world is false in order to transcend and return to the real world so the matrix um, is very, very heavily influenced by these ancient philosophical and esoteric uh, traditions. And so, yeah, the Matrix is, um, it's, it's, it's a modern myth, a modern allegory. It's, uh, you know, just like we, instead of, we have the Matrix as being um, a story and, and a parable that we can learn from. And especially with uh, VR and the metaverse coming up very, very soon, I think it also is sort of a foreshadowing of what could occur if we let, corporations take it to a place that would be unpleasant. I'm not against VR or the metaverse. I think it's awesome, potentially. But if corporations have their way, it could be very dystopian very fast. It's got to freak you out a little bit. I mean, that. I mean, it freaks It freaks everybody else. I, I, but you're not freaked out by it. But, but let me ask you this. In general? Or do, I'm do, do, do you own a VR? Oh, absolutely. I've okay. got one right down here. Yeah. All right, Oculus 2. There it is. And we're not even endorsed by them yet. But, uh, okay, I got gotcha. you. So but see, exactly, the, the reason why is that, you know, VR is just, it's sort of like social media. We're able to connect right now because of social media. And social media, though, is can be extremely toxic. Uh, you know, Facebook and certain companies, they design their apps to be addictive and to just keep you glued to it. They don't care about you or your health. However, I will use that to spread information. So you can bet sure as hell I have a VR headset because I'm going to be in there first thing. You're in on the ground figuring floor. Out, figuring out how I can use this to spread information. Right. 
Well, I mean, I'm trying to spread uh, people playing guitar. That's that's what I've done with uh, System yeah. 12 and the, the method that we've put together, a, a guitar learning method. Because I, I, I think people make it too hard to play guitar. Uh, they make it seem like it's too hard to play guitar. And I've, we've really simplified it with it. And if we can get our message out, I've thought early on, like years ago when we were developing the system, that this would be actually really cool for VR. Because at some that's, point, there yeah. there is going to be virtual guitar instructors out there. So. You know, yeah, if it, hey, if it, maybe maybe in a few years we'll be uh, doing a, a VR interview together. You know, in the you'll be a singer of a band by that time. You will have. Out- <laughs> well, I, uh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, wow. Okay, so you're not you're not you're not fearing the metaverse. Um, I, I'll tell you what what I fear when I see the only thing I fear most is the commercials. The commercials seem like dystopian, weird things with people going this to like weird jungle cats. And all of a sudden, I, all of a sudden, we are all just in this meta world where mm-hmm. we're not in what we think is the real world. Because in yeah. your... In but but your, I don't see this as a real world, so I don't... You, it's you, just another... Yeah, so this could be just another simulation. <laughs> another layer. <laughs> yeah. I, I, now, again, I don't literally believe this is a simulation, but I believe it's a mental construct. So... Um, yeah, it's just another layer of the metaverse. I, I don't like that big businesses will be trying to sell you things and, and keep you addicted and not care about your health. I'm totally against that. But the idea in general, the technology in general, no, I think it's, I think it's very cool. Wow. I'm, I'm just wondering what the world economy will look like in the metaverse if everybody succumbs to that. What will oh, be, yeah. what will be the, you know, what will be the sort of, uh, the money, the the currency. What is the currency in the metaverse? Well, I'm sure crypto will start to play a very big uh, role. I mean, I think that um, uh, Meta, you know, Facebook, aka Meta, now um, is coming yes. up with their own stable coin, their own crypto. Um, they're working on that. So I'm sure um, transactions in the metaverse will be taking place with 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 tokens. Wow, we just opened up a whole new can of worms with Meta. But right now, I want to get people to speak because people have been asking questions all week. So um, I'd like to do a section uh, called Let the People Speak. But first, uh, before we do that, I just want to uh, acknowledge our uh, In the Trenches Fan of the Week uh, segment right now because we had a great guy that uh, talked about cryptocurrency. I don't know if he paid cryptocurrency for it, but he paid uh, real money for it uh, this last week when we were in uh, Phoenix to Alice Cooper's uh, Solid Rock Foundation. He ended up buying a art piece for Ace Fraley and, and one of Orianthi's guitar. So our fan of the week goes to Chris Norch. Uh, Vic Chalfant, will you run that very quick, please? Fan of the week. Fan of the week is Chris Norch. I have played golf with him. I wish there was a way to uh, simulate me playing golf better in this uh, this world that we're living in, in this current layer, but it's a, a work in progress. That's how I know I'm not a bot because I still can't play golf, Morg. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, I, I didn't get a chance to say, I just want to say that, you know, I'm a big fan of Alice Cooper. Alice Cooper was a big inspiration uh, for my, you know, performance and everything. Well, hold um, that thought because honestly, fantastic. hold that thought because it is time for Let the People Speak. And I think someone actually has a question about that. Oh, oh, yeah, so here we go. This is where uh, people... Hallelujah. 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 
Thank you, everybody, for uh, joining <laughs> us uh, on In the Trenches and putting in your questions. Just a couple questions this week, uh, because I know that uh, time, we don't have all the time in the world, or do we? Or is time even a thing anymore here? We're hanging out with Morgue. Time is a construct. I love it. Our first question, though, comes from at Kinga.Anna. Hello, Kinga.Anna. Uh, what do you think about exorcisms? Is it a manipulation of someone's brains, an actual spiritual possession, or something more? Mm -hmm. So we're just talking about, you know, someone being demonically possessed or something like what is that? Um, I mean, that could be a multi multiple issues that could have something to do with some sort of uh, mental um, disorder that the individual has. It could have something to do with uh, an issue going on with their unconscious. It could have to do with like archetype possession, which is archetypes is a concept uh, that Carl Jung really brought out. Um, and made popular, uh, popularized, where he discovered these different structures that exist with your unconscious that almost have personalities of their own. So it could, you know, be a, a case of some sort of um, archetype, uh, you know, taking hold of someone or um, like this. Uh, I guess my point is, is that, you know, is someone actually being possessed by a demon? No, you know, there's no actual demonic possession happening here. It either has some to, something to do with some sort of um, mental disorder or you're some, some, some sort of unconscious content that is overpowering your consciousness, um, which can manifest as gods or demons because your unconscious communicates through archetypes, through symbols and um, humanity has developed throughout its history uh, these symbols around things like gods and demons that represent structures of the human mind. Very well put. Kinga, I hope that uh, answers your question as well. Uh, our next question from Let the People Speak is from at Fetter Rock and Roll 77. Is there a connection between your makeup and Alice Cooper? Because in a Good lot of uh, you, you, you don't have your you don't have makeup on right now, as you can tell, as much makeup as I have on, even though it looks like I don't. Uh, but in, in a lot of your videos on content, uh, you do tend to put some mm -hmm. eye makeup on. Uh, one eye. Uh, That's right. What is, does that have any correlation uh, with Alice Cooper, or w where does that come from? Right. So I wouldn't say that it's because I get that a lot. You know, is it Al Alice Cooper or, or or the Crow? I get as well. Um, and I wouldn't say it's directly inspired by Alice Cooper. Uh, emphasizing one eye uh, has a very important meaning in different esoteric traditions and things like this. Emphasizing one eye has to do with. Uh, the eye of the universe, the awakening of the consciousness of reality. But however, um, I will say that when I was developing my makeup and all that, I was heavily inspired by, you know, Alice Cooper, movies like The Crow, etc. So all that was sort of in my unconscious. So it wasn't something I, I directly said, oh, Alice Cooper did that. I'm going to do that. But Clockwork Orange um, as well. That's right. That's yeah. right. So not directly, but Alice Cooper has been a huge inspiration in, in many other ways. There you go. So, our uh, last question from Let the People Speak this week is from at DF Homemade Studio. Um, any new projects, releases, or surprises on the horizon? Yes, actually. Um, well, good timing. Um, yeah, so I guess I will. Uh, I, I haven't announced it to anyone except in like my private group, uh, like private Patreon supporters and things like that. So, Give us a soundbite, um, Morgan. Yeah, <laughs> this is, I guess, the first public announcement is that I am actually working um, on a new book. And this new book will be incorporating um, Hyperionism is an extremely vast system. And, uh, you know, because it incorporates politics, um, science, mathematics, cosmology, metaphysics, anything you can think of. So what this new book is going to be about 
is aggregating all the information in a linear step-by-step -step fashion. So if someone is interested in Hyperionism, they can pick up the book and it'll be all in one place. There it is, folks. There's our, our there's our big Easter egg right now. People, if you're just now tuning in, uh, you have a lot of good uh, content to check out earlier in our In the Trenches episode with Morg. And he has just uh, divulged some uh, great information about a new book that's coming out. And uh, working title right now, anything? It's top secret for now. All right. We'll have to have you on for part two for, for to get the uh, to try and squeeze the name title out of you. But <laughs> I'm down. I'm down. I love it. Um, there's uh, one more thing I have to talk about for next week that we have. It's been great having every uh, Morg on the uh, podcast right now. And next week, we have another author who's actually going to talk about a book that he's putting out. Original drummer of the Alice Cooper Band. Neil Smith will be our guest next week on In the Trenches. So make sure you guys uh, make, subscribe to the channel right now so you can check that out as well. But I don't know. Uh, next week, I'll be talking with Neil about his book. But right now, we're with Morg. And I'm sure all of you want to know the best ways to get in touch with Morg on his social media, his YouTube, and all that stuff. So, Vic, can you put up those uh, links and stuff? And can you, Morg, uh, tell the people that are actually listening and not watching on YouTube, which you should be watching on YouTube, uh, where they can find you and what's the best places to seek Morg information out? Yeah, so you can find me on pretty much all platforms under the handle Morg Official, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, all that. I'm Morg Official. But if you're looking really to uh, connect with the information that I've been talking about, YouTube is the best place. Um, YouTube is where I upload all my videos. That is, if you want info, go there. The rest of them are fine, but they're just more for, you know, just to have social media because you need it to connect. If you want the info, go to the YouTube page. There you go. So, um, I'm telling you, I've gotten a lot of information, but I, I, I'm going to need a lot more because I, I'm going to be going down that morgue rabbit hole a little bit more after the show in the weeks to come because I, I do dig the content that you come out. Uh, thank you, Tommy Hendrickson, for uh, turning me on to you. And um, good luck with everything that you have coming up in the future. Um, there's one thing that uh, Alice always says to me, and um, I'll leave it with you. Um, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. So you can tell me if this is a fact or fiction thing. Um, it's, it's been claimed that you have been in contact with secret societies. Is this true or false? Well, if I were, I certainly wouldn't say that I had. <laughs> so is there a fact or fiction or is there something in between fact or fiction? So we will never know. So, okay. All right. I, I, I well, I guess we'll have to check next time if uh, factor if if uh, any of these secret societies have influenced uh, anything that is going on with Hyperionism. Uh, any words, imparting words that you have to live by to give to our listeners um, that you can pass on. Yeah, I mean, essentially, what I want to say is, look around you, look at what's going on. I mean, the world is in a shit place, and we need to do something to change it. And it starts with you. It starts with me. I mean, this world can be anything that we want it to be, and it's a nightmare right now. But if we come together, work together, truly and united, we can change this fucked up nightmare into a dream. I think that's really, really, really nice and concise. 
I will sum it up uh, with three words that I think has the same sort of positive uh, message as you give. Uh, again, thank you very much for being on the podcast, Morg. Uh, Thanks for hey, having me. Hang on one more second. Everybody, let's put those links up one last time if anybody wants to go check out uh, Morg right after this show. Um, but tell a friend about uh, Morg as well as In the Trenches. And uh, hopefully we will see you next week with uh, Neil Smith. And again, congratulations to uh, Chris Norch as our fan of the week. And thank you as always for Vic Chalfant for uh, putting up all these pictures. I know that you think of this has been taped, but this is definitely not taped because Vic is that good. He's putting up all these uh, photos as we speak live stream. So um, it's been a really nice one. And... (laughs) I don't know what you had that one for, but, uh, Morg, thank you very much, my friend. And, uh, we'll have you on again and everybody else. Thank you for supporting in the trenches until next time. Those three words of positivity are enjoy the ride. Have a good one. In the trenches with Ryan Roxy. Hello. Moby. Give him his guitars back. Nicely done, man. Come on. Good show, dude. Hey, that was awesome. Fantastic. Uh, man, we, I think yeah. we got a lot so of stuff. Fun. And I saw some people, I, I saw a lot of your people in there. Uh, I've seen some people saying Ad Astra at the end. And I was like going, hey, man, they're saying Ad Astra. And I know what that means now. Uh, Ad awesome, Astra, yeah. Ad Astra per Astra. Right? It's Absolutely. Some- Through struggle to the stars. That's, that's right. <laughs> but the... the I do. I did have to laugh though. I did have to laugh when, when you're, cause I, I, like I said, when I go in and do research on a, on a guest, I oh, go, sure. I go, I go look for the bad, the, the bad, the goodness. But one of your critics, uh, it was the amazing atheist. I think actually said, well, that's the, mo-. no, no, it wasn't. It was Count Jaculus. It said, that's the motto of Kansas. It's a good motto. I know. What can I say? I, I had that ready to go oh too. Oh my god! Well, you know, I didn't. Yeah, but I didn't want it. I didn't want it to go like you know. I, I didn't want <laughs> more to think. I, mean, I, <laughs> I, I I don't really see what the problem is. Again, yeah. Know. Hey man, I call We're it not p- in Kansas anymore. So I pay. I call it paying homage, dude. And I love the fact that you actually, you know. You, because that's the thing. A lot of people would say, well, I came up with this. This is that. This is my, no, I, I never listened to that. You know, when I have musicians on, I say, well, that's clearly sounds like this song. And they go, no, no, no. I never listened to that artist before in my life. And I was like, no, you, you're, you're like very honest. And you say, look, this is an amalgamation of a lot of different philosophies that I'm putting together in hyperism, uh, hyperism. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah. I can't believe I said it correctly so many times because usually as Vic will tell you, I, I say things wrong all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you did. Yeah. You nailed it every time. But, so. I, but I thought you did a really great job. I think my audience will really, really dug it. And I think hopefully your audience will saw, saw a different side of you as, or, or just another side of you. And yeah, uh, it was a lot of fun. You, you are an awesome host. I really appreciate it. You know, I've been on some things where, you know, they're, they're not so as, um, I don't know, conducive to a, to a positive conversation. So no, yeah, awesome. everybody really, wants really the sound. It. They want the con to go through the controversial soundbiter. They want to challenge something. And I was like, look, I could tell early on that your, that your message, your, you know, your philosophy, you yourself is, is more based out of a positivity and better, mm-hmm. you know, let's better humanity. Don't, don't like, you know, peace, love, and whatever, uh, peace, love and Bobby Sherman. But, you know, you want to be like, you know, you want to make the world a better place. And, you, and, you're, and you're, you're very genuine when you, when you say that. 
you know? Oh, well, thank you for recognizing that. I appreciate it. One of my solo records is called Peace, Love, and Armageddon. So, you know. Oh, that's a fucking awesome, <laughs> awesome title. I love that. Yeah. So, well, and Imagine Your Reality fits in. Too. Imagine Your Reality does. Imagine Your Reality, my latest solo album, is a, is a bit more like, uh, yeah. And, and I told you that was more from the Vadim Zeeland uh, sort of reality transurfing. I got to check that out. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a pretty gotta... cool, you know, like like when he was, when you were talking today and I was doing the research, you were talking on some, some sort of... Um, couple podcasts you were talking about how people are being asleep you know yes. a lot of times in in this world whatever this world is if people are being are, are asleep that's the way he says he says we're we're, we're we're you know we live you know there's there's the physical world there's the metaphysical world and we didn't even get Absolutely. into the metaphysical world you know and, and and he says that that's where you know he talks about how you can whatever you want in this world is not really that hard to get Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a matter of waking up and and asking for it because everyone knows what they don't want. Very few people know what they want. Oh, you have to have that goal and intention because if you uh, you know if you don't have a place you're trying to go, you're never going to get there. 